Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger, host of the Better Off podcast. Today on the show, we've got CNBC's Scott Wapner, author of the recently released When the Wolves Bite. These guys are insulting each other on live television with the traders on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, ooing and eyeing, and, you know, I'm just trying to hold the whole thing together. And it was this incredible moment that sort of just unfolded on live TV. Welcome to the Better Off Podcast. We're sponsored by Betterment, the largest online financial advisor. Today, we have a great guest. His name is Scott Wapner. You may know him as the host of CNBC's The Halftime Report. Also, I know him because I knew that he presided over this crazy live television interview between two huge, iconic investors, Carl Icahn and Bill Ackman, who were fighting over this company called Herbalife. And Scott Wapner was the guy that was presiding over this interview when it just went nuts and both sides went crazy. And we're going to have a link to the actual interview that probably spurred Scott to write this book. It's a really interesting account of how activist investors Carl Icahn and Bill Ackman fought over this company, but also had this old grudge. And so it's very compelling. And of course, it is never just about money, but money has a lot to do with it. So stay tuned. You're in for a real treat. It's Scott Wapner, author of When the Wolves Bite, Two Billionaires, One Company, and an Epic Wall Street Battle. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Scott Wapner, welcome to Better Off. Great to have you here. It's so good to be here, Jill. Thank you. It's uh, it's always fun to see somebody who, um, in person, after you've watched them on television, and uh, you work for CNBC, you're a financial geek, not unlike the person interviewing you right now. <laughs> so we the start- few and the proud. Yes, exactly. Uh, or as someone once said to me, your idea of a good time was going through thousands of pages of tax reform over a weekend, which is true. So we start the program with a very easy question. Best financial or career decision you've ever made? Best career decision I ever made was not pursuing a career in sports like I thought I wanted and focusing on financial journalism. Stand by. Let's talk about the sports for a second. Right. Which sport? Any sport. I grew up thinking I was going to be the next Howard Cosell. And what happened? Funny thing happened on the way to Howard Cosell. I, I got a job as a... My first job out of school was working for a financial show, a syndicated show. And one thing led to another, and I never looked back. That's great. The book is called When the Wolves Bite, Two Billionaires, One Company, and an Epic Wall Street Battle. So this is kind of a fascinating investigation of a company called Herbalife and two different investors who had contrary views of that company. So give a little of the background of Herbalife. And tell us why you ended up writing this book. So Herbalife is a 30-year-old company founded out of, out of Los Angeles, a nutrition company. They make shakes and teas, and they've more recently positioned themselves as um, you know a, a health a health company. But they've been around for 30 some odd years, founded by a somewhat flamboyant guy named Mark Hughes, who is since deceased. And no one had heard of Herbalife all that much until Bill Ackman 
uh, stood on a stage in Manhattan in late 2012 and did his big presentation and publicly announced that he was short the company, meaning that he was betting that the stock was going to fall um, and not just fall. Um, he thought it was going to be a zero. He, he claimed the company was a pyramid scheme. The company was going to be um, put out of business by regulators and he would uh, cash in big time. What he didn't um, expect to happen was that another uh, big investor named Carl Icahn would get involved on the other side uh, because they had a decade-old festering disagreement that just stood there behind the scenes for literally 10 years. And when Ackman was on the stage in Manhattan saying that Herbalife was going to be uh, shut down by regulators, Carl Icahn was literally taking the other side at the very same moment, buying the stock. So it became this epic battle between two billionaires, uh, both very high profile, one old school, one new school. Talk a little bit about Ackman's background, because Ackman is sort of the, you said, the newer breed of this, what we call activist investor now. So talk a little bit about what his life was like, how he got to this place when he made this big contra bet. So Ackman had been a well-known investor for a number of years. And out of Harvard Business School, he started a, a fund. It was called Gotham Partners with another uh, classmate from uh, HBS. And you know they started out doing uh, investing. He cut his teeth a little bit as an activist investor. And it was his really first foray into activist investing, you know, where you're the guy who's um, trying to take control of a company or make a big play for it. And he was sort of a young neophyte guy bursting on the scene. But you knew that he was going to be somebody. He just had that thing about him. Very good very looking, smart, very brash, Very good right? looking, tall, uh, you know, gray, decades uh, <laughs> early. Um, but he's like a dashing guy, smart as a whip mm. and... You know, he starts out at Gotham and the firm falls on hard times and it um, goes out of business. He's forced to liquidate after a number of years. And as part of that liquidation is how Bill and Carl Icahn first crossed uh, paths. And that's where everything sort of really festered underneath the surface because of a deal gone bad between the two that had really never been resolved by the two other than a judgment and a payment. Right. And the judgment and the payment was in Ackman's favor. So it went against Carl Icahn. And it was a you'll read the book. It's really it is amazing when the wolves bite will link to it. The the thing that became interesting to me is uh, that this idea of activism Give us the upside. Give us a good activist investor. Tell us why we should like that in the world of investing. There are many instances where activist investors, whether you know it's, it's um, Ackman himself or Carl Icahn or Dan Loeb, another popular name, um, actually go into a company and try and make things better. And you know, probably more times than not, um, it actually works. You know, the company uh, becomes staid and stagnant and you've got a country club atmosphere where the, you know, the CEO is running off and playing golf and doing all sorts of stuff. And there needs to be some level of accountability. And it has been proven to to work where you can increase productivity. uh, The company can be better performing. The stock price can go up, which obviously benefits all of the employees, whether it's through their, you know, retirement plans or or what have you. So they, they can have a, a very positive impact, um, but lost in the shuffle of the whole thing is really what happens to the employees and the business itself when it's, quote unquote, under attack. 
the tens of millions of dollars it costs to defend itself, um, what it does to morale inside the company, what it does to a, um, a town where a business is located, all of the employees, and then all the ancillary issues that are, that are all around that. I tried to take a little bit of a, a stab at that. Um, though not, you know, not a, a truly deep dive into those issues to try and give people an idea of what activists do, uh, what they try to do, and maybe when it falls a little bit short. In your mind, when you look at Ackman's role in the herbal life story, someone comes to him and says, hey, we think this thing is like filled with shenanigans, that there's a it's a pyramidal marketing scheme. The people are just buying the stuff. They're kind of and essentially saying they're lying about how much product is being purchased by the folks who were brought into this organization versus sold in sort of the outside of that network. What is your view on the herbal life story itself? Was Ackman right and his timing was wrong? Like, how do you view this? So. I think there are, and I think it's fair to judge Herbalife sort of pre and and post Michael Johnson, who's the CEO who's now recently left the the business. Um, I don't think the Herbalife today is the Herbalife of what it was um, years ago. And I know that Michael Johnson has tried to clean up the business a, a bit so that it's not entirely based on recruiting. Ackman's or at least a principal part of Ackman's whole claim, which, as you say, uh, was brought to him by a researcher who who came up with a you know 100-page report uh, that was really damning about um, Herbalife. You know, Herbalife has had issues in the past and some high-profile ones. Things haven't always looked pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, you've had you know these distributors that I write about in the book who would produce these videos and these testimonials of. Oh, you know, if you sell Herbalife products, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life. I went from making, you know, $10 a week to 10000 And hey, look at my mansion and my Ferrari and my Lamborghini and my private jet and all this stuff. Um, And that's the side of Herbalife that Michael Johnson tried to clean up when when he came uh, into the business some 14 or 15 years ago from Disney. So, you know, here you have a, a representative from the most wholesome of corporate entities coming into one of the most controversial in a business itself, multi-level marketing, that has always sort of skated around the the gray areas of, of legitimacy in some minds. Some businesses have been shut down over the years. Others have remained uh, certainly, you know, fodder for critics um, who who don't like the structure of these businesses, and they tend to be predatory, usually towards um, lower income folks. And in this case, with Herbalife, seem to be targeting the Hispanic or Latino market to get in there. Is that right? Well, I don't know about they tend to, but there have been cases in the past where they have been deemed to be that. I don't think all multi level marketing companies um, are bad. Um, you know, there's many, many names that we all know of um, that have existed for a long time and haven't had their legitimacy questioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a different a different case because of as Ackman sort of brought to light, his claim was that Herbalife was taking advantage of undocumented uh, immigrants who were just trying to find a better way in, in life and make some extra money and who were being preyed upon uh, by this company um, and, and their recruiters who were saying, okay, here's a great business opportunity, buy all of this product for thousands, spend thousands of dollars to make tens of thousands of dollars. And what some of these folks found um, is that they spent that money 
and they didn't make the $10,000. In fact, they lost um, a lot of the money that they had put into the business. But again, the, the, the story itself, um, at least in Ackman's mind, that became the crux of the, the whole argument, that this is a predatory a company preying on the, the, the least fortunate and also um, the undocumented angle of it, too, so that these people who were getting taken advantage of weren't going to come out of the shadows because they were so afraid of what would happen to them, so they would just lose and then you know, be, be silent. 2012, Ackman gives this big speech, and, um, and then we start hearing about that Icon is establishing a position supporting Herbalife going long, and Carl Icahn is known for, out, of a, out of the 80s. Like, I was growing up on Wall Street, and Carl Icahn was one of the, you know, corporate raiders and sort of iconic and tough Tough-ass dude from the boroughs. Like, One of the yeah, toughest. Right? Uh, reputation among the toughest um, ever. And that's why the chapter about him I, I do call the icon, um, I-C-O-N, um, because he truly is on Wall Street. Um, you're talking about a guy who's been on Wall Street for the better part of you know, 50, 60 years and who really has managed somehow, it's really his genius, to reinvent himself uh, over the decades to still remain relevant where many of his compatriots of that time um, are long gone, off doing something else. But but he has managed to remain uh, relevant for longer than anybody that I can imagine. Okay, so he has this beef with Ackman, which he ends up losing in the court. Basically, both of them are like, you screwed me, no, you screwed me. That's really like billionaires saying, you screwed me. Right. So none of us, regular people, really necessarily care about that. But Icon really feels wronged in that judgment, correct? At the end of the day, this is a story about power, money, greed, and revenge. And that brings us to to your question. It's not only that Carl felt wronged by the decision, it was also the fact that Bill gloated about it Mm. after the fact um, in the paper, Mm. which sort of broke a code, at least in Icon's mind. You know, business was done differently 50 years ago than it is today. Um, if you, you know, you, we win some, you lose some. Um, but be humble if you win because you're not always going to win. But don't go and brag about it. So at least in, in Icon's mind, from that day forward, he said, look, if there ever comes a chance to get this guy back, this is him speaking to his, his coworkers, the guys he worked, worked closely with, let me know. If there's ever a chance, if something comes around that you find, give me a heads up. Now, Herbalife happens, and Carl's people are watching Bill on the stage taking Herbalife out to the woodshed, and they come to him. And the stock had been knocked down in half, um, just about. And they said, okay, here's a great opportunity to make some money, uh, but the cherry on top of the Sunday uh, is Bill Ackman's behind. So they did it. Um, now if it was just Bill Ackman there and the stock had not been hammered and they didn't see an opportunity to make a lot of money, I don't think Carl would have done it. He's not that kind of investor. And, and that's what I think is important to, to recognize that at the end of the day, Carl Icahn is about making money, Mm. uh, making a good investment, not just getting revenge on, on somebody. Uh, but if he can do it at the same time, and he's said it, uh, throughout the last, you know, handful of years, that it is the cherry on top of the Sunday. What's the original sin for Bill Ackman once the Carl Icahn 
um, position becomes known. What do you think is where he really let this thing get away from him? Not getting out immediately. Uh, the goalposts moved the minute that Carl Icahn showed up. The game changed. And I think instead of realizing that the game had changed and that the rules were going to be a whole lot different and it was going to be much more difficult to win, if not impossible, uh, Bill doubled down. And I think he let his own uh, hubris uh, and bravado convince him that he was right and that he was going to win and prove to everybody, including Carl, that he was smarter and that he could beat him. And he probably should have covered his short uh, at that moment. Right, because he was in the money, out, right? Like, and gotten out. He, was he, so before he knew that Icon was involved, he had made money. He shorted the stock. It goes down. Would have been a good trade. Right. Then he finds out that Icon comes in. The stock goes up a bit, but he's still in the money after that point, I think. Well, what happened before Carl got in, which in a sense also changed the game and let everyone know that this was different and that we we hadn't seen anything like this before was when Dan Loeb got involved. Now, Loeb is of the same, you know, generational age as Ackman, um, another sort of smart and handsome guy who gets a lot of press. And for good reasons, his performance has been fantastic. He runs Third Point uh, LLC. He emerges and and he and Ackman had been friends in the past and pretty good friends um, at, at that, at least at one time. And he comes out of the blue with a big position, long Herbalife. So he was in favor of, of Herbalife. And that really shook uh, Ackman. So that was the first step where Bill maybe should have gotten a whiff as though, you know, maybe being so public on this investment, standing up there on, on the stage, calling a company a fraud for, for the whole world to see and sticking out your chest may not have been the best idea. Um, and then when Carl emerged, it was, you know, all bets are off. Okay. So let's get to the fun part when Scott Wapner becomes part of the story. So there I am minding my own business with CNBC on in the background. You know, I'm looking at the crawl. All of a sudden, you say, uh, I got, you book Ackman. I booked Ackman. What year is that? And what's, what's the time horizon there? So he goes short so 2012. I booked uh, Ackman on January 24th of 2013, the night before the infamous brawl. Because I had been walking to my desk in the newsroom, and I didn't know Bill, and I didn't know Carl. And to my recollection, we had never met uh, prior. But I saw Icon on TV on another network, uh, really lambasting Ackman. And I stood there, and I was watching this, and I was like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. You know, I, I was sort of mesmerized by what I was seeing. And I literally went back to my desk and I cold emailed Ackman. I asked him if he wanted to respond to what Icon had been saying. And Icon was pretty harsh. You know, you don't generally hear that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, and it on felt TV. very personal, right? It was. It was like, you know, there's no secret. I don't like this Ackman guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and everybody is like, oh my God, you know, where is this, where is this going? So people started to suspect that Carl w had an Herbalife position at that time. But no one knew, and Carl wouldn't talk about it during that interview on, on the, um, the other network. 
And then I had a dinner that evening in, in Midtown Manhattan, and I was sitting in the bar ahead of dinner uh, waiting for my guest to arrive. And I got an email from, from Ackman saying that he was going to have a statement uh, and that he would give it to me first. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, this is great. I'll get it first. We'll put it out. The CNBC will put it out first, uh, and I'll have a little thing. He sends me the thing, and I ended up calling him and saying, you know, do you just want to come on my show tomorrow and talk about it? And he said, sure. So I said, well, okay. You know, I call the people back at work. I'm like, all right, we, we, you know, we got a little something tomorrow at noon. That'll, that'll be fun. And not two minutes later, he called me back. And he said, you know, mm. I'm not going to come on. Nah. You, this whole thing's a sideshow. I'll mm. come on your show when I have something substantive. And, you know, obviously I was disappointed. I tried to play Mr. Cool. And I said, okay, you know, whatever. I go back and I, I sit down you know, with my guest at the dinner table. And, you know, five minutes later, my phone rings again. And I excuse myself, I go out to the lobby of the hotel, and it's, it's Ackman again. And he says, you know what? F it, I'll do it. Uh, a few other expletives after that. Uh, and he's like, you know, Carl wronged me. I'll, I'll say that for, for the purposes of this mm-hmm. program. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, I'll do it. So I was like, okay, this is great. So I didn't know that another producer who knew Icon very well told Carl uh, that Bill was going to come on and that he should watch it at that at that moment. Um, and that if he wanted to, uh, he should call in. And I'm sitting there interviewing Ackman and, you know, we're approaching a break, maybe, a, you know, quarter past the hour. And they tell me that Icon uh, wants to call in or that he's called in. I don't remember exactly. Um, and that he wants to talk to Ackman on the air. So I say to Bill, um, you know, Bill... Uh, I understand that Carl Icahn is is called in and he wants to talk to you. You know, I'll give you a couple of choices. We can either, you know, say goodbye or you can, we can take a quick break and come back and you can have this conversation. And um, I think he said something to the effect of, no, I think we've wasted enough of your viewers time. Um, But then said, he sort of caught himself and thought about it and then said, no, you know what? Let's, let's do it or something to that effect. So we literally took a break and we came back and for the next almost half hour straight with no commercial breaks, these guys are insulting each other on live television with the traders on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange on a delay, about a two second delay, ooing and eyeing and, you know, I'm just trying to hold the whole thing together. And it was this incredible moment that sort of just unfolded on live TV. Look at the timing. Hackman did it with a, a week to go or a month to go before he had to show in his results. His results were bad for 2012, and this got his results up double so he could get fees for himself. And then he talks about charity. That's complete bull****. He's not giving it to charity. He's like, his limited partners right. aren't going to give it to charity. That's assuming they don't need charity themselves. Now, that's Carl, what I'll say about Ackman, okay? Let me, let me remind you that we are on live television. Um, so that was an interesting choice of words. But let, let me let me do this. Let me do this. I mean, uh, and the... Can I just say a couple things and we'll yeah, move on? All right, the last thing, just to clear the record. Okay. It was like a high-stakes catfight. And you watching it, but you gave them enough room to both speak enough where you could feel the animus between these two guys. And I think that that is always what drew me into the story is that, like, these guys really don't like each other. Forgetting about the fact they got billions of dollars that are being wagered, because to me that was actually less interesting in many ways, is that the seed of this was so personal and that each felt like the other had wronged him. 
I think you could genuinely feel the bubble under the surface for the prior decade erupt like a volcano on live television. You know, and it got nasty. Yeah. It got nasty. Uh, the kind of things you don't hear on, on live TV. At one point, you know, Icon was mad at me because he had told the producer who booked him um, that he didn't want to talk about Herbalife, that he oh, was going yeah, to talk right. that he was going to talk about what he wanted to talk uh, about. But of course, I had no idea, and I wanted to get to the truth. Right. So I kept asking him, "Do you have a position in Herbalife?" That's what everybody wants to right. know about. And he starts yelling at me, saying that I bullied him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that so, is rich coming from him. So you know, we the whole thing ends, and I was shell shocked. You know, I didn't, I couldn't put into perspective really uh, what had just happened. But of course, my phone's blowing up and the emails and texts are coming through. And I got an email from a colleague who said, this will live on. And by God, he, he was right. Um, it just took me a while to fully grasp what had, had just happened. This is Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. We'll get back to our interview with Scott Wapner in just a second. But so interesting that part of this book, When the Wolves Bite, surrounds our problems as investors, even mega investors, that we fall prey to all the time. Our emotions often get in the way. And if you find yourself falling prey to that particular human trap, maybe it's time for you to get some help. Betterment is the largest online financial advisor, and its service is designed to help you build wealth, plan for retirement, and achieve your financial goals. In other words, Betterment's mission is to help customers make the most of their money. And one of the ways that they can do that is that they can take complex investing strategies and use technology to make them more efficient. And they can also help relieve you of being a human being. Because when you use Betterment, you're not buying and selling and moving your money around and making yourself crazy based on your feelings. And here's some more good news. As a fiduciary, Betterment makes recommendations in the client's best interest. So if you want to get out of that endless emotional loop, sign up today and get one year managed free at Betterment. Visit Betterment.com slash better off. That's Betterment.com slash better off. And now back to our interview with CNBC's Scott Wapner. In retrospect, at that moment, uh, after that interview, did you have a sense of which one of these two guys would ultimately prevail? I really didn't because, you know, as powerful and, and tough as Carl Icahn can be, you still didn't know what the government was going to do. And... Carl may have made all of the right counter arguments um, and and have been as tough as they they come, but the government could still act and shut Herbalife down or do anything, declare it a pyramid scheme, and then Bill could be right. And then over the next couple of years, Ackman goes and lobbies the government and says, starts to really use influence to try to force some sort of regulatory action. So Ackman had always declared that he would go to the ends of the earth to to win this. Which, by the way, is never a good investment strategy. Right. Um, and he did. He did get maybe overly emotional, to your point, where it is the a, a, a destructive trait to, to have uh, as an investor. But he declared he was going to go to the ends of the earth, and he sure as hell tried. 
you know, he went down to Washington and he lobbied regulators and he sent emails to the head of the FTC, Edith Ramirez, which, you know, when you when you all read the book, you'll you'll see the lengths to which he he truly um, went to try and, and press his case. So you never knew what was really going to happen if he would be that persuasive. But I always did think in the back of, of my mind, I wondered whether the government would truly act in the name of a billionaire investor in New York. But he invoked the fact that there was a predatory element of right. this. So that may have gotten the attention, right? Sure. And I'm sure to some degree it did because the, the FTC did launch an investigation. You never really knew whether whether they were going to act knowing that a billionaire in New York um, and a loud one was going to profit from it. Now, he, he was going to give um, the profits to, to charity, but his investors were still going to make uh, money by virtue of the, the, the fund's performance doing, doing well. So it was a, it was a difficult thing to, to gauge, even you know, whether you thought Ackman got the best of Icon that day or Icon got the best of Ackman. What we didn't know was that it was going to play out over a number of years. Let's play that out. So finish the story, then I want to get back to you. They have this brawl, and there are other events throughout the, the, the way. Um, Ackman continues to press his case. He has, he has other presentations. He says he's going to have a death blow uh, on Herbalife, this big presentation about the China aspect of the business. He came on my show, and he hyped it up. And if ever something was overhyped uh, in the history of overhyping, uh, this was it, hmm. because he promised a death blow, his words, and at the end of his presentation, Herbalife shares actually went up 25%. Oh. 25%. Oh. So if that's not the ultimate sort of smack in the face, I don't know um, what is. And that became a thing um, for a while where I don't even think people necessarily listened to the argument that he was making. It became more of trying to, you know, the schadenfreude thing of, of taking joy in the misery of, of watching this guy's investment go up in smoke. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it played out for a while. There were lulls and there would be an event. And then ultimately, you know, within the last, say, I don't know, 18 months, Bill and Carl sort of came together in what seemed to be the the ending of the story uh, when Bill uh, came on TV and said that uh, Icon had been trying to sell his position. And, of course, you know, Icon being Icon and Bill being Bill, Bill goes on TV and says this, and Icon's incredulous, sort of watching it from the periphery, and said, you know, who the hell is this guy to to go on TV and tell the world what I'm thinking mm. or what I'm doing? So not only was Icon not selling uh, at that at that moment, he may have been thinking about it, and he may have been having other people take a look at the position to try and and move it. Icon ended up buying more after Bill went on TV. This is called stepping on the throat of your and adversary. it was just it literally was this repeated repeated thing over a, a course of five years until finally Icon kept buying more and kept buying more and kept buying more. And Bill, within you know the last many months, um, finally got all, all but out. How and, much did he lose overall? Do you have a guesstimate there? Uh, 
he I don't have the exact number. He probably I mean, he probably lost close to to what he put in. But um, I can't be for certain because the position was restructured a number of different times to use uh, options mm-hmm. to mitigate some of the, the, the risk and some of the loss. He, he went into it in a straight um, stock position. But, you know, when the writing was on the wall at one point, he converted some of it and then he did it again. So it's hard to truly know. But Icon um, has made more than $1.2 billion. Okay, two billionaires, who cares, right? Like one has a little bit fewer billion that maybe he had. But what is the lasting lesson that comes out of this brawl for each of them? What do you think? Do you think either of them learned something or both of them? What do you think? So I think that Bill... Um, will never go public uh, with a short position ever again. I'm also fairly confident that he will never short anything again. Now, he may, and I could be completely wrong, but there's no way he's getting up on a stage ever again and and saying that he's short XYZ company and it's going to zero. What I also try and and do in the book, and, and I hope readers come out with their own view of what, separates these these two you know not in a way that one is better than the other or that but just the different parts of their psyche that guide them as as great investors and and to be fair you know the last few years have been unkind to bill ackman but before that he had some really spectacular wins including you know a trade that that will go down arguably as the greatest hedge fund trade ever made so it's not like, you know, he's a dummy. It's just they have different personal characteristics a- about them. You know, Bill is more emotional. He's more emotionally invested in, in the positions that he makes. Whereas, you know, Carl is more, hey, you win some, you lose some. If you lose, you, you, you know, you, you take the bait off the hook and you go into another pond. Mm-hmm. And, and he's been able to do that successfully. He's had his ups and downs, obviously, but he hasn't had these spectacular wins or losses like Bill has. And I just wonder if that you know, underscores in some way the difference between the two men. Would activist investors, if they only stuck to creating a position without any leverage, without borrowed money, would that be perhaps a cleaner way to essentially change this from a mathematical formula that only that mostly enriches shareholders to one that could help the company overall or would it not I don't, matter? I don't think it matters I, I, I don't think it matters I mean I think that whether they're you know whether n- n- there's no leverage or 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 what I don't think it makes a difference to how these uh, investors view what they think is right for the company if there's something that has changed though uh, towards activism over the last few years I think it's companies are more emboldened than ever to fight back. I, I truly believe that. Now, I don't know whether the Herbalife case specifically has led to that. I think companies are feeling better about themselves to push back and say, maybe you, you all don't have the best answers that let us, the CEO, the board, run the company the way we see fit. Um, that we don't necessarily need your outside interference, which may last for uh, a handful of years. It, it may be less, but the impact on our firms will be forever. So, Scott, you are a financial journalist. You've been doing this for a few years, and uh, people see you all the time on CNBC. What is something that 
would surprise people, like a deeply held view that you have that people may misconstrue about the business that either that you really feel to your core is like, this would surprise people to know that I think, what is that thing? Hmm. That's a hard question to answer. I've gotten to know a lot of these activist investors and they're sort of the core of my source book, if, if you will. Um, I think they do hold deeper views about what they do than, than some people give them credit for. I don't think, you know, by and large, they view what they do as fly-by-night short-timers or short-termers, and they do get a lot of criticism. I think it's, it's easy to be a critic of, of activist investors, and admittedly, they, they invite it some themselves and, and don't always get it right. But I do speak regularly, not only to the, the subjects of this book, but the others as well. And at least from the conversations that I have, these are people who know deeply about the businesses that they're, they're going into. I think they're, they're more genuinely interested in the, you know, the well-being of, of the company. Um, I don't know about for the next 20 years, but um, I do think that they're more invested, not just financially, than people give them credit for. Last two questions. Uh, if you weren't in your dream job at CNBC, you would be? I would be a chef at an Italian restaurant somewhere. I may, I'm going to add one question. to. I said two questions. I'm going to make it three questions. Okay. Best Italian, your favorite Italian restaurant in New York City. Oh, boy. Don't piss anyone off now. <laughs> Don't I know. be thinking about where you're getting your reservation next, <laughs> or, or not anymore. Exactly. I have several. Oh, don't punt. Give me a, Come on. My favorite Italian restaurant in the city. Man, I love... I'll let you do three. How about okay. that? Okay, all right, awesome. Off the hook. Um, I love Elio's. Mm-hmm. I like Premola. Really? Old school, dude. Yeah, That's I, like no, my mother's I'm, favorite restaurant. Carbone. <laughs> I love old school... I love old school Italian places. What's the best thing that ever happened to the Upper West Side? I, I those guys do. open Parm. Il Tonello. I love, I like old school. Okay. Um, but I like authentic. Authentic. I don't like, like, you know, I don't want Foo-foo. the bowl, I don't want the bowl full of red sauce. I yeah. want like, you know, authentic, but done well, but I love the old school vibe. Okay. Last question. Your best decision. Better be able to get a table there now. It's impossible. Exactly. Scott, what is, what do you think is a good restaurant for everyone to try? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we started the interview with you, Scott Wapner, that's you, uh, with your big question, which was best career or financial decision. What was your worst? My worst. I mean, it was hard to stay uh, sane during the financial crisis, I'll tell you that. You know, uh, looking at your, your own personal financial situation, um, it was hard to stay sane. Did you sell? I sold a little bit. Um, Frady cat. I know it was a crazy time. <laughs> I didn't know the world was going to end. Uh, no, you didn't know not. it was not. No, end. I didn't know if it was going to yeah, end. Right. Um, I think a lot of us were, were in that boat. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully I had some good advice at the time. Um, but there were some tense moments. I, I wish I wasn't, um, as sort of emotional about it personally, but it was difficult when you're covering it professionally and you're hearing so much and talking to so many different people. Um, it was, you know, an, an earthquake uh, times a million. And uh, who knew 
what what was going to happen. So I I think I've I've tried to uh, since then let the people who know what they're doing with the money. I'm not a financial advisor. You know, I talk about the markets. I try and make it that that people listening or watching us get great advice. But I'm not I'm not controlling anybody's money. Scott Wapner, the book is called When the Wolves Bite, Two Billionaires, One Company, and an Epic Wall Street Battle. Scott, thank you so much. Jill, thank you. Thanks so much to Scott Wapner. Go check out his book, When the Wolves Bite. Don't forget, we drop new episodes of Better Off every Tuesday and Thursday. You can subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, or just go to JillOnMoney.com. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Talercio is our executive producer. We're distributed by Cadence 13, and we're sponsored by Betterment. See you next week.